A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello, folks. Yesterday, we brought you our interview with Pam Shriver, in which she talked so movingly about the relationship she'd had with her first coach, all the trauma that that had brought her. And I think you'll agree that it was an immensely powerful, important listen. Well, today, we're speaking to Steve Simon, the chief executive of the Hologic WTA Tour. Steve has been leading women's tennis since 2015. Before that, he was tournament director in Indian Wells, and recently, he's been at the forefront of the WTA's response to the disappearance of Peng Shui, suspending all of the WTA's business in China until she's independently and verifiably confirmed to be safe, well, and able to speak without coercion. The WTA were also in the news yesterday, having put out a statement criticising the moves of Wimbledon and the LTA in Britain for banning Russian and Belarusian tennis players from their events in the wake of the ongoing invasion of Ukraine. So it's timely for us to be able to speak to Steve and ask him about those subjects and a number of others. So here's Steve Simon talking to Catherine Whitaker here on the Tennis Podcast. Well, first and foremost, thank you very much indeed for taking the time to do this. We've been wanting to speak to you for a while and we know how precious your time is and uh, we're very grateful indeed. Um, I want to speak to you first about the the story that Pam Shriver told us on the podcast this week, an incredibly difficult um, and moving story to listen to. I know Pam called you to tell you she had done this interview with us and decided to tell that story. Um, what was your reaction when you got that phone call? What went through your mind? Um, well, first of all, it's good to be here. And um, when I did receive the call from Pam, um, the first thing that went through my mind was the amazing amount of strength it takes to come forward with this. And I reflected to Pam that um, she should be applauded for the courage um, to do so. Um, you know, it's, uh, she did it as I think she reflected to you uh, in your discussions um, from a place of, of wanting to make a difference um, with her story um, for others. And it's, it's just aligned with who, who Pam is and what she stands for. Um, she's truly a, a very, very special person and the strength and courage that she reflected coming forth and, um, with the story that she's told and she shared with all of you, um, is something I think to be, 
to be applauded. Not that the issues aren't the things you want to talk about, but um, to come forward with that, et cetera, should be applauded because it is about helping us progress um, an area that's a challenge um, across sport, across society, in many, many different areas of our of our world. Yeah, so in terms of that challenge, she she details how concerned she is about the potential for boundary crossing to, today, in today's game, inappropriate, damaging relationships developing. Um, she thinks those relationships are happening today. Is that a concern that you recognise as well? Oh, I mean, look, I, th- I think you, you have to recognise those concerns. Um, the, um, as she reflected, the, uh, the environment and the teams of professional athletes, if we just stayed a sport at this point in time, I think it does also apply to other parts of life as well. Um, but in the world of sport, the teams are big. And I think she articulated it well, which she reflected that it is about drawing lines and healthy boundaries around the entire team and the environment. So it's not just your team, it's, it's the environment as well. Um, you know, other players, um, um, uh, the media, you know, how do you balance fans? How do you balance sponsors? You know, how do you balance all of those things? And there's a tremendous amount there to balance that makes for a healthy and, and productive player, um, for sure. And, and more importantly, um, a healthy and happy and balanced person uh, that we want to see. So there's, there's so much um, to be in this space. And, you know, I think that we're, we're dedicated to ensuring that we do have a very healthy and safe environment for everybody to be in. Um, it's, there's, there's a tremendous amount of work that's been done, and there's a tremendous amount of work that still needs to be done. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we're, we're committed to it and committed to putting the resources towards that. Um, to continue enhancing and progressing um, our ability to support uh, players and staff and anybody in our environment um, in these in this way and in this in this space. So, what might that work look like? I mean, Pam had a few suggestions on the podcast. We've had a, a few responses from from other players, sort of suggesting various things. Education was a a massive factor for for Pam. Education of players and of coaches about safeguarding what's in place at the moment and what do you want to do um again we've done a lot of work in this space and you know we now have avenues and resources we didn't have when pam was playing at the time um you know we have a team on the ground um just about every week not every week but just about every week Um, but even if they're not on the ground they're available and have direct lines to them we have educational resources that continue to be uh, grown and, and expanded upon. Um, we, uh, we have, you know, uh, uh, confidential systems and procedures and a place for any player or person to come forward where they think that there's issues with respect to that so that we can do the appropriate follow-up that's required based upon what we hear. And then again, um, it is about, uh, I think, uh, making everybody comfortable that this is something you can come forward with. And that was something that Pam certainly focused on. Um, and I think that's critical. 
if there isn't communication, if there isn't dialogue, if they don't feel comfortable that they can come forward and get help or ask questions or get support or whatever the issue might be at the time, then you're not going to get your arms around this um, and you're not going to be able to help everybody in the manner that they should be. The other key element, I think, that really was a key element for us that's evolved since Pam was playing, too, is the age eligibility rule, um, where we, again, are catching and working with these athletes at a very young age. Tennis is a sport where they come into this environment very young. And I think we've seen the benefits of that uh, of that initiative as well. So it's a combination of all of those things, not just one. It's all of those things that continue to to help us evolve um, this very important program. And what, Steve, what about on the non-player side of things? Because one of the things that struck me about Pam's story and sort of a quite universal element of it is the fact that when when you're in that situation, you might not recognise it as unhealthy or abusive. Pam talked about the fact that at the time she wouldn't have used the term abuse, but now it's only with the benefit of reflection that she sees that situation for, for what it was. Yeah. Well, look, the, the, the whole area in, in this one, and it's obviously one of those unique spaces um, because it keeps expanding. Um, it used to be based upon abuse. Um, you know, was it, was it sexual? Was it physical? Was it some other form of, of verbal abuse, etc.? It's also now evolving into psychological um, areas as well and emotional areas as well. Um, so it, it's continuing to expand, which is fine. And it's, that's healthy um, because we're truly getting to all of the areas that, that create issues for people, which I think is something we have a responsibility to try to address. Um, you know, I think that the, the key here is, and one of the things that we're looking on, especially from an education standpoint, is that as our teams and the amount of people in the environment have grown, we are looking at some programs where obviously as people get credentialed and get approved to come on into the environment, uh, there'll be different forms of education that they'll have to complete before they can become accredited based upon the category. Uh, and I hate to use the word category, but based upon what they're coming into the environment as are you coming in as a coach are you coming in as a trainer, you coming in as a mental health uh, person um, just a support person. I mean, there'll be different forms of education that they're going to have to go through to make them aware of the issues and the concerns in this space before they can be accredited. So it's a program we're working on. It's not complete yet, but we hope to have it implemented, hopefully as early as the start of next year. Um, that becomes not just generic um, safeguarding, uh, information and education that you traditionally see, but more specific to certain areas um, so that we can hopefully, again, make people more aware um, and educate them and hopefully, you know, continue to manage um, this situation because it, it will always be there. The question is, is how do we manage it and how do we deal with it? Yeah, Pam, Pam mentioned to me some safeguarding developments that she'd, she'd been made aware of uh, within the WTA that we're planning to, to launch at the start of next year. Is that what she would have been what she would have been referring to? It could be. I mean, there's a lot of initiatives that are that are out there um, that we're working on as we speak to, and, and these could have been the areas that she was referring to. Uh, uh, but, um, 
you know, we will continue to evolve them and continue to explore them and continue to work on how do we, how do we bring the entire, entire sport together as well, because our athletes go in and out of different groups. Um, you know, we have ITF players that play some ITF events and then come into WTA events. We have, we have players that play in the grand slams and WTA events. So we're going in and out of a lot of different uh, areas and so it's something that we're we need to and we're working on as to how do we continue to create these programs that's consistent through the entire sport platform versus just just being a WTA effort or just being an ITF effort or just being an ATP effort. And uh, we're having a lot of conversations in the sport to see how we can how we can bring everybody together in this very important space. Just just finally that on that one of the things that that strikes me is that while it's obviously very important to have the reporting channels available to to players and to coaches for those that might be involved in those sorts of relationships um what about external reporting if those within those relationships might not recognize them at the time for what they are are there channels for concerned external parties to report and for that to be acted upon sure yeah no uh Look, we're we're uh, we're not going to ever close the doors to to information that can help us address issues. Um, I think you, if you're going to go that way and become, you know, very, very, I don't know, um, I don't want to say in a cylinder per se, but oblivious to the outside world. That's that's not going to help you address these various issues and. We have avenues if somebody sees something that they can certainly come to us and share what they what they have. The key to this this whole area again is, as we said, is comfort and communication. And if if we don't know what's going on, you can't address it. And the worst thing that could be there is is the is the I don't know or I didn't know um, situation. And uh, we we were doing everything to keep every option and everything available so we can find out and we can hopefully address the situation appropriately. Would the WTA ever make moves to intervene in a relationship that they sort of, that raised red flags from the outside, even if neither of the two parties involved were reporting anything themselves? Um, Look, I can't get into what each issue might be and everything. All I can do is say that, um, you know, anytime we receive information, we will address it and look at it properly and and go through the process. Okay, I appreciate that, Steve. It's um, it's obviously such an important issue um, and one that is being taken seriously, which is which is very good to hear. It's obviously been um, a very busy few months in the tennis in the tennis world um which seems to be sort of constantly intersecting at the moment with with real world events it's sort of impossible to to treat you know the whole sport and politics thing seems to be just so out of the window now um yesterday we obviously had the announcement that Wimbledon and the LTA would be banning all Russian and Belarusian players from their events we've had the WTA statement on the matter which is which is pretty, pretty forceful and clear cut in terms of the organization's stance. What was your reaction to that announcement yesterday? Um, you're, you're right. Um, 
you know, we've been going through a period of time and, and people take the position that sports and politics shouldn't match and shouldn't be intertwined, et cetera. But that's not reality. At times, sports does cross into politics. And here's a situation where politics is crossing into sport. And it is real life, as you reflected. And, and sports and entertainment and everything we do every day is all going to be intertwined one way or the other. And it's not usually good when it happens, um, but it is reality and you have to deal with it. Um, the announcement that came out yesterday was extremely disappointing, um, to say the least. Um, the one thing that this sport has always actually agreed upon, we don't agree on a lot of things, uh, but the one thing we've always been united on was that entry into our events, and I say our events, whether it's ITF, ATP, WTA, Grand Slams, doesn't matter, has always been based upon merit and without discrimination. That's the one thing that we've been able to agree upon as a sport. And we've never, ever had uh, denied an athlete from competing in any of our events due to where they're from or what decisions their government may have made no matter how reprehensible they may have been. The issues that we're seeing uh, that uh, in the Ukraine are reprehensible. There's, we can't condemn what's happening there strongly enough. Uh, it's affecting our, all of our athletes and tennis family that are from the Ukraine. And we can't begin to understand the depth of their emotions and what they're going through. And we also, um, the, in fairness, the Russian and Belarusian athletes who have nothing to do with it, which everyone agrees, and they've come out and been outspoken against it, uh, many of them, uh, very strongly, in fact, um, you know, they're being affected as well. Um, they have family that's, that's back in those areas that are affected by it. Um, they're feeling isolated and picked out as, you know, and, and treated differently. And it's just, it's simply just not, not right. I mean, there has to be a balance here. And we feel very, very strongly and took the position earlier in the year um, that these athletes need to continue to be able to play. Um, they should not be penalized based upon the actions of their government. Um, we stay strong behind that. I will not back off of that. I feel it's a fundamental principle. And in these tough times, when you have principles, if you're not willing to stand up for those, you don't have principles at the end of the day. And that's when things get tough, uh, for sure. Um, I think that unfortunately, in this situation, the athletes are being asked to take, a tr take the burden for things that are, are beyond their scope. Um, and again, this is where politics has come on in and allowed these athletes to be taken the burden of politics. And I don't think it's fair. We don't support it. And it's against our rules. So um, we are going to be evaluating what our next steps are. Um, our boards and councils will be coming together in the next week and we will determine our next steps. But I couldn't be more, more unhappy with the decision and disappointed in the decision. Um, that that's come forth there's kind of um there's kind of two separate separate strands it sounds to me here there's the principle of the matter and there's 
the rules. So just to, to pick up on what you said there about the rules, um, my understanding is that the LTA decision and the uh, AELTC decision fall into slightly different categories. Maybe Wimbledon have slightly more leeway to take their stance than the LTA do. Um, is the LTA's current stance in violation of the of the WTA rules and can are measures available to the WTA to, to act against that? Well, actually, um, both of them are, are in some ways very similar. Um, the, the Wimbledon decision uh, is, is against the Grand Slam rules. It's in violation of Grand Slam rules, as well as the Grand Slam agreement that we have uh, with respect to the Grand Slams. So it's in violation from our perspective in both of those situations. Uh, the LTA, which um, has sanctioned events, WTA sanctioned events, the decision is in violation of the WTA bylaws and rules with respect to entry of athletes. So we do have the ability, um, uh, you know, to to react to both of those. Um, we don't have the same jurisdiction over the Grand Slams as we do, obviously, our own sanctioned events. Uh, we can react to to them not following their rules, and we can react to the agreement we have in place with them that's in violation, and and deal with what outcomes could come from there if they're decided to be acted upon. We also do have uh, we have uh, you know precedent uh, where we have taken our own events, such as the LTA events in the past, where these situations may have occurred, where fines and sanctions placed upon their tournament sanctions have been imposed. So we will be evaluating how we proceed in, in both of those areas. In terms of the reaction, how you've mentioned sanctions there, how, how extreme are the options on the table? Would a boycott be discussed? Would that be in the conversation of a potential reaction? Uh I, I'm not going to go into, you know, what the various areas could be. I think that's premature because we need to sit down with our tournament, our player councils, and as well as our board and and see where everything's at. Because obviously what you just described begins to affect a lot more people than just the current affected people. Um, so uh, I think all of those things are going to have to be evaluated and we're going to have to have support. I do think that you'll see you'll see some strong reactions that will come from us. But again, what those are and how far that they'll go um, is still to be determined. And will those WTA discussions, will they be happening in tandem with the ATP? Because obviously their stance, they might have worded their statement slightly differently, but their stance is reflective of yours or will they be will independent reactions take place in the two bodies well we're required to have independent reactions um uh so so that that'll be for sure is that they'll be independent um have we been in conversation with them and will we continue to communicate with them yes um the sport um unlike maybe a lot of people think we do talk a lot and we do talk amongst all the groups a lot. So yes, there will be communication between us, but again, they have to be and will be independent decisions, of course. Just finally on this topic, obviously it really seems to be a decision that has completely divided, not just tennis fans, but political commentators, all of it. It's very divisive. Um, and many 
many people agree with the WTA and ATP stance, but what would you say to Alina Svitolina or, or Marta Kostyuk, who have both spoken so bravely and so powerfully about the situation and have sort of made the point that, you know, in this case, while the means are um, not very subtle and they do come with unintended harsh consequences, the ends justify those means. What would you what would you say to that? We've we've spoken about it. That they've obviously come to me with those concerns that you're reflecting, which are very fair, and and I understand them. I, I do understand them and respect them. And if if I'm from the Ukraine and I my home is no longer there, and I have family and friends that are still there, or that we've lost them at this point in time, you can only imagine what the emotions would be. The difference is, and where we, we've we come out and we've advised them with it, I'm not saying that they 100% agree with the, the position, um, but we've, we've, we've taken it and we will continue to, is again, the fundamental principles of this is that we've never, we have never uh, excluded a player from being able to play based upon where they're from and what decisions that their government may or may not have made. This situation isn't changing that at this point in time. We think it's fundamental that they all should be provided the opportunity. We need to work through the emotions. We need to work through the issues. Um, But again, these are people that don't believe in the conflict that's going on as well. And we don't feel that they should be be penalized um, as a result of that as an independent athlete. There are... As, as I kind of said in preface to this section of the chat, there are just so many ways at the moment that tennis is intersecting with the world and with politics. Obviously, we'll come on to talk about China and the WTA's much praised, very strong stance on China. Um, how do you choose which battles to fight? Because there are so many to choose from. Yeah, um, I don't know whether it's, it's, it's choosing um, I think you fight the battles that are brought to you um, and when they affect you and your members. Uh, the WTA has never taken a position of going out and fighting the world's geopolitical issues. Um, the issues that we take on are when they affect our, our members directly, our athletes and our tournaments. Then we will take a very strong stance and we have a principled stance. Um, and I think that the issues that you're seeing, obviously, the one we just discussed about whether a Russian player should be able to play or not, as well as the issues that we've addressed in China, these are issues that are directly affecting our members. And we're following our principles and the basis upon which the WTA was built upon and what we stand for, which is providing for opportunity and providing for change. And we address the issues accordingly as they address us and as they have a direct effect on us. Um, and I think it's, it has served us well um, so far. Um, but again, um, we're not afraid to take strong stances, et cetera. Um, and again, we do try to keep sport out of politics um, until it's, not, it's something you can't do because it is, it is involved. Sport and politics have been mixed in some of these issues. And we'll continue to be consistent in that space because I think you have to be. Uh, you, can't, you can't decide one time you're going to be principled and the next time you're not. 
either you believe in this and you stand for it or you don't and we will we will stay that way what's what's your understanding of Peng Shui's current situation what's the latest you heard from her or of her what what methods of communication have been tried what's what's the situation in terms of how you understand it yeah um we uh we continue to work in the space um we've said from from the get-go this would be a long process and it's going to be a long process um we have not had any recent communication with pung and and the world has not seen pung since the olympics either um so i think it's clear what we were seeing through that period of time um because i i think you know obviously the ioc and the the chinese government were working on making sure to use that as a statement um we're, we've remain, we remain dedicated to finding a resolution to this um we want to find a resolution that pung could be comfortable with the chinese government can be comfortable with and we can be comfortable with um you know when you take on issues like this it is about finding a resolution we're not about walking away from china we have suspended our operations there right now i mean our events right there which we said we would do and we'll continue to do that till we get to a resolution but um it isn't about never going back to china it's about how do we get to a resolution because i don't think you make change in this world by walking away from issues you have to create change it might not be everything we want but we have to find a, a solution that again finds that balance that i just described that allows us to go back and see progress in the area um one of the things that wta brings when we go into these regions is we do begin to create great opportunities for women we have been able to create a lot of exposure for women's rights and and growth and opportunity which is what this uh, is about so you're going to run into the issues that we're facing in china when you do that and you have to be part of the solution so we want to be part of the solution um but we're also going to you know uh not allow it to be pushed aside because it's too difficult and uh you know we will stay resolute and again we do hope to be back there in 2023 with the resolution that shows progress was made in the space and i think that's a victory for the world if if we can accomplish that we're um we're hearing a lot of the words tennis united at the moment which is music to the ears of anybody invested in tennis i think you know more closer relations between the various bodies is i think universally desirable but in practice the atp haven't suspended any of their um tournaments in china and in fact seem to be if anything expanding their their presence there which is a very different stance to the wta that that doesn't feel very united is that an issue for, for, for you well um as i said earlier in the in the discussion the the sport um i think that the communication amongst the various entities within sport as as at levels that we haven't had before i'm not saying we're all getting along and wimbledon and this issue is a good example um but um we are communicating more than we ever have and we're doing more together than we ever have um it's hard it's not easy to pull all these different groups together but the effort is there um you know on the atp side 
Um, their difference is that for us, we had one of our members that was affected. They don't have a member that's, that's affected there. Um, they'll have to make their own decisions at this point in time. Would we love to have their support of what's go- of what we're standing for there uh, and the issues? Absolutely. Um, but again, these are decisions that they have to make. We're not trying to influence their decision in any way. It has to be theirs. And again, I think it's part of, you know, uh, of, of the approach. This is our member um, and that we're dealing with and it's not their member. So they're looking at this through a different set of eyes. So no WTA events in China in 2022. What will the second half of the, the season, which traditionally would see a lot of Chinese events, what's, what's that looking like? It's actually coming together very well. Um, we, we worked with our members and, and wanted to come to a decision early in the year, whether we would be able to operate it or not. Um, we made the decision early that, um, you know, no matter why we're still trying to resolve the situation, even if it's resolved, we wouldn't operate again until 23 so that we could build a fall calendar. Uh, I'd say in the next two to three weeks, we'll have an announcement, which will reflect a fairly solid fall calendar. We've made a lot of great progress in that space. A lot of credit goes to the members, um, uh, our promoters within the the China region that have been working on helping us uh, move these events around. It's been a cooperative effort, which has been great. Um, And I do think we'll have a very uh, solid fall calendar. There's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, in the space, but we'll have a good fall calendar. John Wertheim reported today that the finals won't be going back to to Mexico. Is is that correct? Are we any closer to knowing where they where they will be going? Uh, we're talking to several different uh, regions and destinations right now that are interested in the finals. Um, so I'm hoping in the next month or so we'll have a direction as to where they're where they're going to go for 2022. In terms of the the, the stance that the, the WTA has taken over China, did how how direct in terms of cause and effect was that was that situation with the Hologic sponsorship? How how big a factor was was that principled stance that, that you and the organization have taken in in attracting Hologic? Yeah. Um, well, well, first um, we couldn't be more excited about. A partnership than we have with Hologic. I, I don't think there's very many times where you have two brands that align in sponsorship like this, where things are such aligned with respect to your goals, and what you stand for and what you're working for. Um, if it hadn't have been Hologic, I'm not sure we would have done an entitlement deal. Um, but I think the alignment with Hologic and women's health and and, and all of the elements that, they're, that they stand for, we couldn't have a better, a better partnership, and we're very excited about it. Um, the China situation, I think, brought attention to them uh, of the WTA. I don't think that they were thinking of the WTA at the time. So it certainly brought a level of awareness and interest in the organization. The, the issues and the stance that we've taken in the region was not the reason that they signed with us, but I do think it brought the awareness as to who we were and what we were about, which made them interested in having conversations with us. At the end of the day, the partnership has to work and the business has to work and we have to be able to deliver 
against the investment that's being made. And they came to us and wanted to make a difference. And, um, you know, I do think that they're going to make a difference for us, both from a, from a, a women's health and awareness situation, but also, um, you know, they wanted to make a difference in the organization. And we've already seen some very positive influences that have, have come from that and the initiatives that they're putting forth. How how critical is the financial injection that they'll bring, given the you know, the financial impact of the, the chance on uh, the, the stance on China? Um, it was, there's, there's no question it was significant um, to show, you know, that they wanted to make a difference. They worked with us and allowed us to structure our agreement in a manner which allowed us to really create stability within the central organization as well as it's allowed us to create growth and women's prize money and compensation, which is a critical element as well. They said they wanted to make a difference and they have. Um, So um, it's been a significant partnership so far. Um, We've we've felt the value of it tremendously. We certainly hope that they're seeing it as well. I think they are. Um, But obviously we've got, you know, four years ahead of us and hopefully it turns into 40 years um, but, uh, you know, I think it's they've made a difference and it's made a huge difference for the WTA. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court season Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. I think those are the the big chunky topics covered, but just... While I've got you, just a few other sort of bitty, bitty topics that I'd love to to pick your brains on. Um, on court coaching is the first of those. Um, something that the WTA has, you know, really consistently stood behind. It was removed because of the pandemic. 
do you want it to return? Will it be returning? Um, what's the situation with that? Well, we evolved on-court coaching to coaching being allowed from the side of the court versus coming on court. Um, I'm a big proponent that I believe coaching is a part of sport. And I don't believe in hypocrisy. And we were being hypocritical that coaching wasn't happening before. Okay. And I think we are as a sport where it's not. We took the stance with on-court coaching to allow for it. And now we've, uh, due to the pandemic, we stopped the on-court, but we have moved forward with allowing coaching from the side of the court. The direction that I see us going is not reinstating the on-court coaching, but continuing the coaching from the side of the court. Um, I think it's worked really well. Um, the players and the coaches like it. Um, we've been able to do it in a manner that re that's, remains discreet. You don't see them scrout, shouting and yelling across the court and all of those things, which I think is important. But it's also created legitimacy because coaching has been happening in our sport for years, even though people don't want to admit it. Um, we've seen instances where coaching has affected matches in negative ways, um, you know, when you said you weren't supposed to, et cetera. And, and I think it's, again, it's just part of the sport and just needs to be done well. So we remain big supporters of coaching. We think it works. We've done the trial now for a year and a half from the side of the court. We'll finish it this year. And I expect coaching to be on the WTA side, you know, going forward as, as we do. And will there be other evolutions of it? We'll certainly we'll look at it, of course. Um, but I think this is this is the ultimately the right place and the right system to have, which we have now. OK, well, one of the things we talk about a lot on the podcast um, is the inequality of format at Grand Slam tournaments, best of three versus best of five. We've argued that that female tennis players are denied the the same stage and exposure as male players, particularly in the latter stages of the tournament, because they don't get to play best of five. Are you, whatever the the potential solution might be, and we can come on to that, are you comfortable with the current inequity in formats between men and women at slams? Yeah, no, this is not a new topic for sure. And, and as I've said before, and I'll be clear here, if we're going to have a topic about just pure equity due to time on court, we'll play best of five tomorrow. Okay. I think it's the wrong decision. I actually think best of five is an archaic approach, which needs to evolve. The sport has evolved as well. And I don't think consumers are going to sit there and watch and consume tennis matches on TV, et cetera, for four and five hours while those go on. And in fact, we know from the viewership, they have a tendency to watch the start of the match and the end of the match. Okay. Um, you know, viewership time is about 90 minutes. Um, you know, and, and I think that's, we need to be 90 minutes, two hours for our, our matches. The other thing that brings great concern to me, and it, it doesn't affect me, I'm not operating on the ATP side and probably have no reason to say this, but I'm concerned with athlete health. The, the game of tennis is so physical right now, and the athletes are amazing. And you can see these athletes breaking down as they get later in the tournament due to these long matches and not having appropriate rest in between. 
I think it hurts the flow on effects of our tours because the players then can't play the other events because they're hurt and they're tired. And I think it's, it's just a system that's gone away. There's a big difference between playing five sets a day and when I played five sets. Okay. And it was a different game, different rallies, different strengths. And I, I think with the game has to change and we have to change with the viewers as well. Um, I know, I understand the ideas of the drama and the gladiator and, um, you know, the, the long match and the u- uniqueness of it, et cetera. I, I get it all. There's some great history there, but I think we have to evolve and, um, you know, we need to keep these players healthy. We want them playing more, not less. Uh, we want more excitement and more, more drama more frequently throughout the match. And I don't think five set matches is the answer to it. Um, I do think we have to, we have to look at it. So from a WTA perspective, if we're going to talk about equality and equality has to go to time on the court, we'll play five sets tomorrow. I can guarantee you we're going to see more hurt players. Okay. Um, Because again, it's just physically draining on them with today's style of play Um, and the quality of matches as well, because from the first round, you're playing five set matches. Um, it's, it's not like in the days where you had pretty easy matches in the early days, there was a big difference in the depth of, of tennis. So, um, look, if, if we want it, we'll do it, but I don't, th- I think it's absolutely the wrong decision and the wrong discussion. So I have a proposition for you to end on Steve, that I'd like your, like your opinion on, um, our proposal, which I see as a sort of compromise of all of those factors you've just discussed Reduce men's tennis to best of three for the first four rounds, same as women. And then both the men and the women play best of five from the quarterfinals onwards. So net reduction in tennis solves the scheduling issue week one, but also achieves equality. What do you think? I think it's something should be looked at. Uh, I don't have an issue with it. Uh, I'm... One thing about, about myself is that I'm, I'm all for evolution and change. If you're doing the same thing that you've been doing, you're going backwards. Uh, we need to evolve. I think there should be a, a testing of it. You know, let's test it and see how it works and what are the issues with it and test it in real events um, and see. You know, again, the question with it is, and I think it's where you would get into the valuation, is that if I go from best of three to best of five from the quarterfinals on, as you're describing, is my viewership going to go up because I go to best of five? And, and because I've got, is the viewership's going to go up and the rights fees and, and the amount of money people are going to pay to do it go up, then let's have the conversation. If there isn't a change there, why are we putting the athletes at, at a bigger risk uh, when now they might not be playing uh, as much going forward? So I think we have to balance all of those things, but more than happy to look at it. That's great to hear. Yeah. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Fantastic stuff, Steve. Thank you. Um, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man with all this, all these <laughs> politics to deal with. Um, but I, uh, I really, we really appreciate it. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thank you. 